Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, page 1134 in the Pew Bible, 1134. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had compassion on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if you, each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I'd like to turn your attention to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 51, on page 256 in the Forms and Prayers book. Lord's Day 51, concerning the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Question and answer 126, what does the fifth petition mean? Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors means because of Christ's blood, do not impute to us poor sinners that we are any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. Beloved of the Lord, I'd like to begin by just emphasizing that the subject matter of Lord's Day 51 and the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer and the subject matter of Matthew 18 is of vital importance. 
It is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of eternal consequence. Let's cut to the chase and look at that last verse again from Matthew 18. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you, if you, if do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. And what will the heavenly Father do to you if you don't forgive your brother his trespass? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. The language of the parable translated into reality is your heavenly Father will send you to hell until you've paid the full debt that you owe God. And of course, since God's anger is an infinite wrath, there's no amount of suffering that you can ever endure to satisfy his wrath. The only way you could fully pay for your debt is if you had divine strength, and you and I don't have divine strength, and so we would be crushed eternally in hell if we don't forgive those who sin against us. This is a very important matter. This is what we're dealing with also in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are who sin against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we don't forgive, we don't get forgiven. Now concerning this, I I want to emphasize, first of all, that this is not a contradiction of the gospel. It might sound that on the surface that what I'm here preaching is salvation by good works. Forgive your neighbor who has sinned against you and you go to heaven. Break the commandment and you uh, go to hell. You know, it's, uh, it's simple as that. It's all based on what you do, whether you go to heaven or you go to hell. It might appear that way on the surface, but I assure you it is not. And you say, well, okay, pastor, prove it that it's not. It's not. Show me it's not a, a contradiction of the gospel. Well, uh, in that regard, I, I like the way that uh, Reverend Tim, Tim Keller uh, explains it in his, one of his sermons on Matthew 18. He, uh, he directs our attention to Matthew 25, uh, a well-known uh, passage in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, giving us a description of the last judgment at the end of history when uh, Jesus Christ shall gather all humanity in front of him and separate them uh, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he's going to say to those uh, on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And to those on his left, he will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into eternal fire, prepared by the devil and his, his angels. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, uh, what distinguishes these two groups, one who goes to heaven and one who goes to hell, one who has eternal rewards and one who has eternal punishment. What distinguishes them? Well, in Matthew 25, what distinguishes them is that those who are on uh, Christ's right hand, who will go into their uh, heavenly reward, uh, they have uh, fed the hungry, they've given drink to the thirsty, they've welcomed strangers, they've clothed the naked, they've visited the sick, they've visited those who in prison. And those who are on the the left hand, why, they are the ones who who did not do that. Now, you may be wondering, how does this help us? (laughs) This, too, sounds like salvation by good works, doesn't it? Well, remember, there's something else in Matthew 25. 
where Jesus says, As much as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And as you did not do it to the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it to me. What he's saying there is that the way that you have treated people in this world indicates the kind of relationship you have with Jesus. Those who have fed the hungry and clothed the naked and visited the sick and those who are in prison have had their hearts touched by the grace of God Their hearts have been opened to the grace of Jesus Christ. They have a good relationship with Christ. As much as they have done it to the least of these Christ's brethren, they've done it unto him. They they have a good relationship with Jesus. But those who have closed their hearts to the needy of this world, those who refuse to give help to the hungry and the sick and the so forth, their hearts are also closed to Jesus. The way that you treat these people is indicative of the kind of relationship you have with Jesus. And uh, that's not only true of, of feeding the hungry and giving drink to the thirsty and welcoming strangers and uh, visiting people who are sick and in prison. It's, it's true of, of many things that Christ has put in this world that are representative of him and, and our attitude toward those things in this world indicate our attitude toward toward Jesus. For example, uh, the church of Jesus Christ. You know, there there are lots of people who think that I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with with that church. The church is full of hypocrites, you know. Uh, uh, Things are fine between me and Jesus, but Jesus says, I will build my church. And uh, he says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom to exercise kingdom authority in the church. And I've given to my church pastors and elders and deacons. I've given the church sacraments. And I've given the church uh, the right to exercise discipline. And Jesus told his followers, if they reject you, they've rejected me. If you reject the church, you've rejected Christ. You can't have Christ if you reject his church. They, They go together. Your attitude toward the church is indicative of the kind of relationship with, you have with Christ, and you're deceiving yourself if you have a, think you have a good relationship with Christ. If, if you're turning your back on the church, just like you're deceiving yourself, if you think you have a good relationship with Christ, but you harden your heart against the hungry and the thirsty and, and those who are sick and in prison and, and the things like that. We could say the same thing uh, with uh, regard to, to God's Word. You know, Jesus said, heaven and earth are going to pass away before one jot and tittle of of my word passes away. Jesus identifies himself with that word. He shows how all the scriptures point to him. And and yet there are people who say, I love Jesus, but I don't like what it says in that chapter there. I I don't like the Old Testament. The Old Testament's too too much of an angry God and so forth. And I don't like uh, all this business about miracles. I I think maybe uh, that's uh, overdoing it. Uh, Jesus is a good moral teacher, but uh, we don't have to take everything in the Bible. Well, Jesus took everything in the Bible, literally and truly. And even when he was in his greatest agony... He expressed himself in the words of, of, of the Bible. My God, my God, why have you also forsaken me? He's quoting the scriptures. He's quoting Psalm 22. Even in his agony, he's showing that all the scriptures are about him. And if you reject his word, you're rejecting him. Well, now our text is saying the same thing. Your attitude as a, as a resentful person, a person who holds a grudge, 
if you have hardened your heart against those who have sinned against you, if you refuse to be merciful, it's because you have hardened your heart against Jesus. Your heart has never been changed by his mercy. If your heart is hard, uh, if, your heart, if your heart had really been touched by Jesus' mercy, it would have been changed. But your lack of mercy toward others, your lack of forgiveness, your resentfulness, your bearing of grudges is indicative that your heart has never been changed. Or to put it a little differently from another verse in Matthew, Matthew 7, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? If the fruit of a person's life is grace and mercy toward those who have sinned against him or her, then that person's roots are in Jesus because they're producing good fruit. But if your life is one of an unforgiving heart, then the root of your life is not in Jesus. In the words of our catechism, your determination to forgive your neighbor is evidence evidence of God's grace in us. It's not the cause of God's grace in us, but it is the fruit and the evidence of God's grace in us. And so you see, our text is is not a contradiction of the gospel. It's simply dealing with that which is evidence of our relationship with Jesus. If you open your heart to the needy and uh, forgive those who need forgiveness, then your heart has been touched by the forgiveness of God. But if you close your heart, if you shut your heart against forgiving those who have sinned against you, then you have shut your heart against Jesus as well. Now we need to think about this for a moment because failure to forgive, being resentful, being angry and vengeful against those who have, uh, have sinned against us is generally not associated with the kind of people who we think will go to hell. Those are sins that uh, uh, respectable people (laughs) commit, that is, people who are respected in the eyes of the world and perhaps even respected in the eyes of the church. We think, well, murderers, they'll go to hell, and adulterers, they'll go to hell, and thieves, they go to hell, and drunkards and and gamblers, they, they go to hell, but somebody who's angry because he's been sinned against and wants to see the person who sinned against them uh, suffer, Uh, that's hardly a, a sin worthy of hell, is it? But isn't it? Because what does it mean? It means you've put yourself in the place of God. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You're in no position to to be judging other people, to be the judge, jury, and executioner of other people and uh, refusing to forgive people because you know so much about them and and you're in a position to see everything clearly and to see everything according to unbiased judgment and so forth. When you act as judge, jury, and, and executioner against those who have sinned against you, you've replaced God with your own heart you, you violated the first commandment. You have another God, and that God is you, and you're acting as if you were God. It's a violation of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. And yes, it is a sin worthy of hell. Proud Mr. Darcy, who uh, was the hero of uh, Jane Austen's best novel, admitted to a weakness. 
He admitted to being a resentful person. My good opinion once lost is lost forever, he said. But nobody thought ill of him. Nobody thought that uh, he shouldn't be looked up to in society, and all society did look up to him, and he thought highly of himself. But we have to see that this indeed is a scandal, a scandal worthy of death. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You may be respectable in the eyes of the world, you may be respected in the church, but if you are resentful and unforgiving, you are still a stranger to God's mercy and you are in danger of the fire of hell if there is no reformation in your life. This is a vital matter, but there is hope. (laughs) There is hope because this parable is in the Bible to warn us It is still today. It is still the day of salvation. There is still a day today that you can repent of this. Now, some of you may be distressed because you believe that Jesus has forgiven you and you want to be more forgiving. But it's so hard. Well, this text helps us. It it shows us things that will help us become more forgiving so that indeed we will be fully determined to forgive and equipped to forgive those who sin against us. There are three things that I want to bring to your attention. First, from the general context of Scripture, and then two things from Matthew 18 that will equip us to be more forgiving and to grow in our ability to forgive others as evidence of God's grace within us. First, you need to realize that forgiving people who have sinned against you is a a type of, a subcategory of loving your enemy. And loving your enemy is an action before it's a feeling. When you are commanded to love your enemy, you're commanded to show what the Bible uh, in the original Greek calls agape love, that is self-sacrificial love. And agape love is always an action before it is a feeling. Sometimes it will produce good feelings, but not always. And, but that doesn't matter because you're commanded to act in the best interest of your enemy. And when somebody sins against you and hurts you, they're acting like an enemy, and therefore the commandment to love your enemy applies to them as well, even if it's a close relative, even if it's a, 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 a close family, a church member, and so forth. You're to, to act in a way that is in their best interests. You're to sacrifice yourself, deny yourself in order to help him. Loving your enemies and loving those who have sinned against you are are basically the same thing. You work for the good of that person, regardless of how you feel about them. In other words, you're not commanded to like these people. (laughs) You're commanded to do what's best for them. That's one thing to keep in mind, that uh, uh, we don't, God recognizes that it's it's hard to do good things for those uh, you don't like, but you can still do it. And uh, he has done it for us, and uh, we can do it for others. Secondly, from our text, we learn that in order to forgive from the heart or to forgive wholeheartedly, 
or use the word of the catechism, you must learn to to humble yourself and identify with the person who sinned against you. You must humble yourself and and learn to identify with that person. You know, we read in the the parable how the the master uh, uh, looked upon the servant when he uh, humbled himself and he begged for forgiveness. Uh, uh, The master was moved with compassion. How does that happen, moved with compassion? Well, it happens when, when the master recognizes, you know, this guy's lost a huge sum of money. By the way, this isn't the, the cook or the, the butler in the king's household. This is a king with one of his uh, high government officials under him to whom a, a big budget has been uh, entrusted. Uh, uh, 10,000 uh, talents is a, a huge amount of uh, money. Uh, we would say in the the millions, if not billions of dollars. Uh, This guy has uh, been an administrator in the kingdom somehow and been entrusted with a huge budget and he's lost it all. And the the king calls him to account and, and the guy humbly begs for mercy and for patience. And uh, the king says, yeah, uh, there's two ways you could have lost this money. (laughs) You could have lost it by uh, uh, mismanagement through, uh, through forces outside of your control, or you could have lost it by corruption. And by the way the king reacts, we assume that he, he, he judged the first. You know, this guy probably lost the money because of mismanagement. Uh, uh, things happened, you know, natural disasters happened, and, and recessions happened, and uh, stock market crashes happened, and all sorts of things can happen outside your control. And the king recognizes that these things happen to everybody. It happens to the king as well. So he kind of, he sees this servant as as a person like himself. He identifies with him and he has compassion on him. The catechism speaks of forgiving your neighbor. And our text talks about forgiving your brother. Both the word neighbor and the word brother imply someone near to us, someone like us someone who we can identify with. And, and beginning to, to, uh, to forgive means identifying with that person, which goes against the natural grain of our fallen nature. Our fallen nature, when somebody sins against us, wants to rise up in righteous indignation, elevate ourselves above this person, look down our noses at them, and condemn them as scum, as filthy sinners, you know, maybe somebody lied to you, and, and that lie becomes all you can see about that person. They're liar, liar, liar. You, you don't know anything about them except that they are a liar. You know how political cartoonists will take one feature of a politician and exaggerate it so that, that it just dominates the, the, the drawing of that politician. Well, that, that's what we do in our minds with the people who have sinned against us. We caricature them by their sin. We, make the, we explode that sin. We exaggerate that sin, and that's all we know about them. Even though, if you're honest, you admit yeah, I, I've, I've lied at sometimes, uh, but, but pastor, I, I had a good excuse, you know. There were these extenuating circumstances, and it, it just it seemed like the, I had to, had to 
tell a lie at that situation. You know, you view yourself as a, as a complex, uh, complicated person with dealing with all kinds of forces. And, and when you sin, you don't, you don't think that that sin is, is your whole life. Well, what makes you think it, that sin that was done against you is the whole life of that person? Aren't you a sinner too? Yeah, we're all sinners. We need to identify whether it's a brother in the faith or a brother in the family of mankind, the family of humanity. In God's sight, we're all the same. There is none righteous, no, not one. If we say we have no sin, we make God to be a liar and his word has no place in us. We're all sinners. We need to identify. And, and when you when you humble yourself and identify with the person who has sinned against you, then you can begin to have some compassion for them and begin to think about doing what is best for them. That's the first thing that our text says to do. First of all, remember that, that love is, is, is an action before it's a feeling, but, but then identify with this person. You too are a sinner. You too are worthy of the condemnation of God. But what's the second thing? Well, the second thing that happens in the parable is the king forgives the debt. And so you must forgive the debt. Now, what does it mean to forgive a debt? Well, it means you pay it yourself. You pay it yourself. Say you have a, a rental property that you own or, or you and the bank own and you're making mortgage payments on it and your tenant uh, is paying the rent and you're taking the rent money and, and making the mortgage payments. And your, your tenant comes and says, I lost my job. And, and you know how that goes. You've, you maybe lost a job once too and were in tight financial bind, a bind. And so you say to your tenant, that's okay, forget this month's rent. I forgive this month's rent. Well, what does that mean financially for you? That means that you now have to pay the debt. You have to go to the bank with your own money and, and, and pay, make the mortgage payment. You can't go to the bank and say, oh, my tenant couldn't pay, so please forgive me. The banks don't operate that way. You pay the debt. To forgive somebody is for you to pay the debt. Well, when somebody sins against you, it's usually not financial. Sometimes it is. But uh, usually it's, a, it's an emotional debt that, uh, that you, you have to, to pay. You know, our natural fallen tendency is somebody, somebody hurts me. They lie about me and, and, and hurt my reputation, hurt me in the eyes of the people. Some, maybe a co-worker uh, lied about you and as a result you, you lost a promotion and you're angry at them and, and you say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm going to make this person pay. I'm going to inflict pain on them. And so you look for ways in which you can make them feel bad or you, you pray, uh, God, this person has troubled me. Find a way, God, to trouble them. Uh, and uh, so uh, we, uh, we, we look for ways to do that. But now you say, no, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner too and I need to, to have compassion on this person and I need to do what is good. Have you ever tried to pray for somebody who has despitefully used you? Bless somebody who has cursed you? It's not easy. It causes you emotional pain. 
it, it hurts to be good to somebody that you don't like. That's called paying the debt. You pay the debt. Instead of you inflicting pain on them, you do good to them, which causes you emotional pain. But the longer you do it and the more you do it, you'll find that uh, it's not so hard after all. You begin to, to truly love that person. We need to uh, uh, forgive by paying the debt. But now, does this mean that that we can never really address that wrong? That we can never try to correct the wrong that was done against us? Does it mean that there can never never, ever be any justice in this world, that we just have to always turn the other cheek and never think about that, that, that crime that was done against us again? No, we can't address that. Matthew 18, verse 15, I didn't read it, but just a little earlier in the chapter, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now notice it says, your brother sins against you. He really did sin, okay? You, you have a legitimate grievance. You don't run right away to all the neighbors and tell them, guess what this guy did to me? What a despicable person this is. No, you, you go to him privately to cause him no public embarrassment, to to guard his reputation, her reputation. And you go with this purpose in mind. He says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's your purpose. Your purpose is not to inflict punishment, but to to gain him. That is, to to, to work reconciliation, that that he might repent of his sin and and see his sin and and repent of it, and, and that fellowship might be restored. Sweet, joyous fellowship with your brother. That's that's your goal. But if you go to that person, if you go to that person with anger, if you go to that person with resentment, that person will will recognize that right away. And, and, and seeing your anger and seeing your resentment and, and hearing your words that are trying to put him down and make him feel bad, he'll just put up all his defenses. You won't gain your brother. You know, it, it says in Galatians 1, Brothers, if, you, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Well, how can, you, how can you come with love in your heart unless you have first forgiven your brother in your heart? You know that verse in, Matthew, in Mark 11. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against your brother. Because uh, if uh, your Father in heaven will, uh, will not forgive you unless you forgive your brother, uh, you can have no assurance of forgiveness unless you have forgiven your brother. Uh, it's important that you forgive in your heart before you go so that there is no anger, no resentment, no desire to inflict pain, but only a desire to help this person and gain your brother and seek their uh, restoration. Some of you know the, the name uh, Rachel Den Hollander from the news, the national news uh, maybe two years ago, I'm not sure the exact timeline, but uh, she was a victim of molestation by Dr. Physician Larry Nasser. 
who was physician to the Olympic uh, gymnasts uh, for many years. He had many victims of sexual abuse. And at the sentencing phase of his trial, victim impact statements were read. And many of the victim impact statements that were read were filled with hatred for him, wishing that he would burn in hell forever because of what he had done to young women athletes. But Rachel Den Hollander read a statement that was quite different in character. She read a statement in which she forgave him. She wrote, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet, because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. She wanted him to know forgiveness from God. She's working and praying that he would come to acknowledge his guilt, feel the guilt of his sin so that he may know the joy of sins forgiving. And even before he knows that forgiveness from God, she says, I extend my forgiveness to you, you who sexually abused me. I don't know if Larry Nasser, who is spending the rest of his life in prison, is thinking about the victim statements that were read at the sentencing phase of his trial, but I'm sure that the ones that were filled with venom that wished he would burn in hell forever are not going to change anything in his life. If anything is going to change in his life, it's going to be Rachel Den Hollander's extending him forgiveness for what he did to her. That's how you win your brother over. You extend forgiveness. You, you say, God, vengeance is yours. You take care of it. And it, Rachel wanted him to go to jail, not because she wanted him to suffer, but so that he would be, have something to teach him his guilt and uh, so that it would be for his good, and so that Larry Nasser would one day say, it was good for me to have been afflicted with jail because that taught me my sin so that I could find grace. Well, it's crunch time. Look around you. No, don't turn your head. But in your mind's eye, look around you. Is there someone here that you're mad at? because they really did wrong you? They hurt you? And are you now making them pay the debt by refusing to fellowship with them, by refusing to make eye contact, by refusing to shake hands, by snubbing in little things so that only they will notice but you can maintain your respectable uh, reputation in the church? Are you trying to make them suffer by snubbing them? Maybe you're listening at home because you don't like people here. Maybe it's not a member of the church you're mad at. Maybe it's a, a family member who cheated you out of part of your inheritance. 
so that you suffered financial loss. Maybe you're estranged from someone because you were sexually abused. Maybe it's a coworker who blamed you for a mistake or a, a neighbor who won't control his dog. Maybe it's a criminal who went to jail for a crime committed against you. It's not wrong for you to want justice for that person, but at the same time, you should also want salvation for that person. And that starts with you forgiving from the heart and praying that God would soften his or her heart through the humble expression of your forgiveness. If you can't forgive the hurts that have been inflicted on you, if you bear a grudge and want to inflict pain on those who have hurt you, or you're hoping that God will trouble them because they troubled you, then you are not entitled to any assurance that God has forgiven you. Remember, you are a sinner. You are a sinner in need of forgiveness. Now open your eyes to Jesus. Open your eyes to the cross. See what he suffered to pay for your sins. He paid your debt. He ate your sins. <laughs> you know, he, he bore it all so that you could be forgiven. Let that soften your heart. Then go forth with compassion against, for those who have sinned against you, recognizing you're no better in God's sight than they, and forgive the debt, eat the debt yourself, and go forth granting forgiveness to those who have sinned against you, that you may be assured that all your sins 